The Orioles had until Wednesday to sign a one-time five-year extension on their lease for Oriole Park at Camden Yards, but they decided not to sign it. So what does that mean for the future of the Orioles in Baltimore? We'll get to that, plus a minor league signing and some more top 100 prospect lists coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, February 2nd, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are talking about the news from Wednesday as the Orioles announced that they have decided not to sign the five-year extension on the lease at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. So, they now need to make a new deal. And the Orioles and Wes Moore, the new governor of Maryland, did come out with a statement on Wednesday saying they are fully committed to getting a new deal done this year before the lease expires on December 31st. But it did bring a couple of questions into play about the future of the Orioles in Baltimore. So I'm here to answer those on today's episode. Plus, we'll talk a little bit about Curtis Terry, who the Orioles signed to a minor league deal. And two more top 100 prospect lists came out this week at The Athletic and at ESPN. We'll break down where the Orioles fall in those lists. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started today. So, obviously the, the big news that came out of Birdland on Wednesday was the fact that the lease extension for five years was not signed by the Orioles for Oriole Park at Camden Yards. We've talked about it on this podcast multiple times throughout last year, throughout the offseason, leading up to the February 1st deadline, which was the date by which the Orioles had to sign the five-year lease extension if they wanted to make that one-time extension. Now, that extension did not mean everything. It was not the end-all, be-all, and we knew that going in, and we knew as it got closer and closer to the date and that the Orioles had not signed it, you kind of got a feeling that they were going to try for a different long-term deal. Now, here is everything laid out. There was a deadline of February 1st in which the Orioles could sign a five-year extension, which would extend their current lease at Oriole Park at Camden Yards through December 31st of 2028. Right now, the current lease expires on December 31st of 2023. So after this season, at the end of this calendar year, the lease will expire. Now, that lease was actually due to expire back in 2021, kind of around the same time, and the Orioles tacked on a two-year extension, didn't come to a long-term agreement, but got themselves a two-year extension, which pushed it to December of 2023 and kind of put them here. It included the potential one-time five-year extension that they could use, which would basically have the same exact terms of the current lease, just extended for five more years through 2028. Now, it was first reported by Jeff Barker of the Baltimore Sun on Wednesday evening that the Orioles would not be signing that five-year extension and would instead look for a long-term deal. Now, that is the number one thing here. This does not mean the Orioles are moving. This does not mean John Angelos is picking up the team and taking them to Nashville in 2024. That is certainly not what any of this means. In terms of panic meter for the Orioles leaving town, 
I would say at max, you should be at about a 2.5 out of 10 in terms of panicking. I'm at about a 1.5 out of 10 at this point. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's not the greatest PR that the Orioles waited until the last second and then decided not to sign the extension. But what this does mean is that the Orioles can look for hopefully a longer and better deal. Because if they had signed the extension, it would expire at the end of 2028. And in five years, we'd be in the exact same scenario. And obviously, five years is a long time. But when you have a team in the Ravens that just signed an extension through, I think it was almost 2040 to stay at M&T Bank Stadium, you'd like something a little more secure than five years. Now, Barker did report in the Baltimore Sun, and others have corroborated that as well, even before the Orioles put out their joint statement on Wednesday night, that the O's were hoping for a new long-term agreement by midseason, by you know probably June or July here in 2023. Now, another reason why they didn't sign the five-year extension is, well, really, there's two other big reasons. One, as I mentioned, it would have been kind of the same language as the old one, where if they make a brand new extension, they can add in different things where they can make additions around the ballpark, in the ballpark, and potentially upgrade the stadium some more with that longer-term lease. B, obviously, if you don't sign the five-year lease, the hope is you sign something longer, like 10 or 15 years, and you are more locked in to, to be here in Baltimore. And number three, really, is the fact that, you know, it was announced late last year that the Maryland Stadium Authority had put aside $1.2 billion to upgrade Camden Yards and $600 million would go to the Orioles and $600 million to the Ravens for various upgrades to the stadiums and the surrounding areas. Now, those dollars and that money did have something attached to it, which was basically you have to be committed here long-term to get that money. And as Barker reported in the Baltimore Sun, the five-year lease extension would not have been as much, or I should say enough of a commitment for the Orioles to get that $600 million from the state. So if they want that money, which I can guarantee you they do, they will need a longer-term extension than just what this one-time five-year extension would have been had they signed it on Wednesday. So that's really the biggest reason why the Orioles did not sign it. And again, it's annoying and it's frustrating and it ups the concern level just a little bit. I get it about the Orioles leaving. You know, it shouldn't be zero and this ups it a little because they had a deadline for an easy five-year out and they didn't take it. And now, you know, the, the clock is ticking for less than 11 months from now. This lease is going to expire and we know how John Angelos and family have handled things in the past, especially the last couple of years, and it does make you worry. That is completely valid to feel that way. But I just want to let you know, again, panic meter shouldn't be anywhere higher than like 2.5 out of 10 at this point. Now, the Orioles did put out a joint statement with Maryland Governor Wes Moore on Wednesday night, kind of officially announcing that they had not signed the five-year extension. And, you know, this statement was not just one thing. It was a whole rollout by the Orioles and their PR team, basically with quotes from Moore, quotes from John Angelo saying that the Orioles are committed to staying here in Baltimore. They are committed to working on a new long-term lease, talking about how they would like to improve the areas both inside and outside the ballpark at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. You think about some of the other new ballparks that have been built. Uh, the ballpark in Atlanta or 
it's not really in Atlanta, but the Braves' new ballpark is is kind of the one that teams talk about where they just don't want it to be a ballpark. They want it to be kind of a, a mini town around the ballpark as well with maybe some housing or, you know, more likely retail and restaurants surrounding the ballpark to make it, you know, a full experience and also a place that, you know, is not just generating all this money and all this foot traffic, you know, from April through September, but it's also doing so in the winter months as well when the team isn't playing there, can hold more events and just have more going on right around the ballpark. And that is where that $600 million would come in as well. Obviously, you would like the billionaires to pay for their own ballparks and the things around them, but the Maryland Stadium Authority has promised that money if they get this long-term lease done. So that's really the big thing here. Now, the other thing they could do is do what they did in 2021, which is just tack on a short little extension to give themselves more time. So if over the next few months the Orioles are negotiating with the state, with the Maryland Stadium Authority, and just aren't getting as close as they'd like, they could kind of stop and say, well, let's tack on another year or let's tack on two years of an extension with these same terms. And they could push their deadline to December of 2024 or even December of 2025 and guarantee that they would be at Oriole Park for another two seasons after that while giving themselves more time to negotiate the long-term deal that they really want. So that's certainly a possibility as well. But they definitely want that updated language to put new stuff around the ballpark like some of these newer parks are doing. So again, it it doesn't feel good. And when you ask what's next, well, what's next is most likely a long-term extension agreement is happening some point this year, probably in the neighborhood of, of 10 and, and more like probably 15 years of a lease extension at Oriole Park. And then the O's would get that $600 million like the Ravens are going to get and start building up around the ballpark. That should be what's next. I'm not saying I'm guaranteeing that's going to happen. And I'm not saying I'm guaranteeing the Orioles are going to stay here, but this is not a moment of complete panic. The Orioles are going to Nashville. That is not what is happening here. It stinks that it happened this way, and we have to wait longer to get that security that we want, that the O's are staying here because John Angelos is sneaky and he's sleazy and I don't like him owning this ball club and you never know exactly what he's going to do. But I do have a good amount of confidence that a long-term deal is going to be made you know, the quotes from Moore, the, the quotes from Angelos. Another thing that's been thrown in here is that, you know, Maryland Stadium Authority, which kind of handles all of these situations, they do have someone new in charge. Thomas Kelso held that leadership position for the last eight years when Larry Hogan was governor. Of course, now with Wes Moore coming in, he's making all of his new appointments. So, you know, he removed that title from Kelso. Kelso is going to stay on until Moore finds his replacement. But basically, they're going through a change there. So it would probably help to do the negotiations with the new person that Wes Moore brings in rather than Hogan's person who is on his way out as well. So that's probably another reason to wait a little bit. But again, don't freak out. Don't go too crazy. A long-term lease, it's going to happen. It's just a little frustrating that it's continuing to take this long and that the Orioles seemingly can't do a lot of, of good PR these days, it certainly seems. But despite not signing the five-year extension and not getting the lease extension for Camden Yards at this point, the Orioles did make a different signing late last week because they brought in Curtis Terry on a minor league deal. Coming up next, we'll talk about who Curtis Terry is and how he could potentially help the Orioles in 2023. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Because this year, listen, the only app you need 
at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sports book. We are so excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America. That's FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better because they have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. You can download FanDuel now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. And FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. Now, I am already looking at the Super Bowl, obviously the Eagles and the Chiefs. And rooting interest, I'll be cheering for the Eagles, but I might put a little on the money line for the Chiefs just because that core has been there and done that. And Mahomes, even with the ankle, looking ridiculous right now. But the best thing about the FanDuel Sportsbook app is that it's safe, it's secure, and it's super easy to use. And best of all, you can get paid your winnings instantly. Instantly. That app, crazy easy to use. You can sign in using Face ID. Super easy. Got everything right in front of you. It's a great app. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. So as the Orioles declined to sign the five-year extension on the lease for Camden Yards, and hopefully we'll continue to work on that long-term lease, they did make a signing late last week, actually on Friday, bringing in the 26-year-old right-handed hitting first baseman Curtis Terry on a minor league deal. Now, adding Terry kind of continues the Orioles' trend of adding these kind of 4A-level, kind of AAA guys with big league experience, first baseman, to somewhat slot into the backup first base role. Maybe not to have on the roster, but more so just in case an injury happens to Ryan Mountcastle at some point this season, because there is not currently another true first baseman on the Orioles' projected opening day roster. Now, Terry, first of all, joins a crowded group in that AAA first base depth. We know the Orioles have acquired Ryan O'Hearn, Franchi Cordero, Lewin Diaz, and Josh Lester all this offseason, all guys who mainly play first. You can now add Terry to that list. Now, Terry, a little different because he's a right-handed hitter. Most of the guys the O's have been going after have been left-handed hitters. But Terry has been an interesting story. He was a 13th-round pick out of high school in Georgia by the Texas Rangers in 2015 and actually just dominated at the plate as he rose through the ranks in the Texas system. Actually never played double A ball. He was in high A in 2019. COVID knocked out the minor leagues in 2020. And then he played pretty much the whole year in triple A in 2021. And he made his big league debut with the Rangers in 2021 as well. Now, it did not go well. Played in 13 games late in the year, 48 plate appearances. He was four for 45. That was an 089 batting average in his only big league time of his career. He came to the end of his years with the Rangers. He was released, and he signed a minor league deal with the Twins last year. Now, he played the entire season in AAA with Minnesota last year with the St. Paul Saints, and you know he didn't play every day, but played in 80 games, 342 plate appearances, and hit 250 with a 348 on base, 429 slugging, 10 homers. It was a 108 WRC+, plus, so he was about 8% better than a league average AAA hitter last season. Not exactly major league caliber at the plate, but still solid. But he does give you a guy who's been in the big leagues before, and 
In 2021, when he made his Major League debut, he did have a 114 WRC plus with 22 home runs that year in AAA with Texas. And again, he absolutely dominated the low minors at the plate for the Rangers as well. So definitely, you know, a potential bat who can at least give you depth in AAA. He'll play some first base. Maybe the O's will try to move him around, put him in the corner outfield as well. But essentially, Terry is another depth piece. And to be honest with you, as I look at the other four first basemen I mentioned, you have Lowen Diaz, you have Josh Lester, you have Franchi Cordero, you have Ryan O'Hearn. You can even throw Nomar Mazzara into that mix, who the Orioles also signed to a minor league deal this offseason. Mazzara can play a little first. He's not a great outfielder, but I still think of him as more of a corner outfielder than a first baseman at this point. Terry probably falls below all of these guys in the pecking order. I mean, maybe he would be above Josh Lester, who, you know, barely has any big league time as well. But, I mean, Lewin Diaz, Franchi Cordero, Ryan Ojo, Nomar Mazzara, well above Terry in terms of just chances to get big league plate appearances for the Orioles in 2023. But Terry gives you depth. And as I've talked about on this pod multiple times, there's no risk in making a minor league signing. You bring in a guy, you know, maybe you give him an invite to big league spring training. You know, he's only 26 years old, maybe still has good baseball in front of him. You see what he's got. You know, if he wants to stay in the organization, you put him in AAA. He plays some games. He provides depth. He's not going to block any prospects. And if he doesn't want to stay, he becomes a free agent after spring training. And you still have these other first base depth options that I mentioned. Now, in terms of guys getting on the opening day roster, I think Mazzara or Cordero maybe have a shot. Other than that, you know, there's no shot for a guy like Curtis Terry. Even with injuries, I really don't think there'd be a shot. But again, I could certainly see him, you know, being on the AAA Norfolk roster to start of the year, playing some games. And you never know if the O's really needed him. Generally, he's probably just AAA depth for the season. And again, you can never have enough depth because even if, you know, Mountcastle were to get injured and then the O's maybe called up Lewin Diaz and Ryan O'Hearn, well, then you're looking around at AAA and saying, do we have another first baseman? Well, you have Curtis Terry there to play the position. And there's, you know, with a guy like maybe Mazzara, you know, he probably has an opt-out in his deal. He still wants to play in the big leagues. If he doesn't make the Orioles opening day roster, he's probably going to opt out and become a free agent instead of going to AAA. Same with most likely Franchi Cordero as well. A couple of veteran guys who have been in the big leagues for years before. So, you know, certainly guys who could opt out of those minor league deals and become free agents again. So Terry more of backup for those guys. But, you know, just an interesting guy to bring in as depth. And, and hey, you know, you never know. Something with the bat the Orioles saw there. He certainly had the numbers, had the, the exit velocities, had the bat when he was in the minors with the Rangers. And maybe the Orioles see something there that, hey, 26 years old, minor league deal, no risk. You know, maybe not even at his peak age yet. Maybe we take a chance and hit on a guy like Curtis Terry. But, you know, he's in the Orioles minor league system, which is the best system in baseball. But Curtis Terry is certainly not going to be one of the Orioles' top-ranked prospects. But they do have a lot of top-ranked prospects. And, you know, earlier in the week and last week, we talked about all the top 100 prospect lists that were coming out and continued to uh, mention the Orioles. Well, it has continued this week as The Athletic and ESPN both put out their top 100 prospect lists. And, man, the love for the Orioles mostly continues. So coming up next, we'll talk about how Gunnar Henderson continues to dominate. An interesting pitcher making an appearance for the Orioles on a list. And Keith Law with no love for Colton Kowser. 
So we're back to talk about some top 100 prospect lists that have come out earlier this week. Of course, a couple weeks ago, we had the MLB Pipeline list. We had the Baseball Prospectus list. We had the Baseball America list. All of them housing eight Orioles on the list. Well, then we got the list on The Athletic here in the midweek from Keith Law. And Keith Law has always had some interesting takes in general, especially about the Orioles. I haven't had good experiences with Keith Law, not a big fan, and don't really take a lot of what he says as, you know, prospect gospel. In terms of all these big lists we're going to talk about, Baseball America, MLB Pipeline, Baseball Prospectus, ESPN, The Athletic, and then, of course, Fangraphs would be the other one, and, and even Prospects Live as well, I think, does a great job. All of those I mention, I would put above Keith Law's list at The Athletic in terms of what I really focus on on prospect rankings, but it still is a big publication at The Athletic. Now, Keith Law only had six Orioles in his top 100, and he did not have Gunnar Henderson as the number one prospect. Corbin Carroll was there from the Diamondbacks. He had Gunnar at number two, Grayson Rodriguez at number 15, Jackson Holiday at 19, and then Jordan Westberg at 73, D.L. Hall at 84, and Joey Ortiz at 95. Obviously, the number one thing you notice, Colton Kowser, who has been a consensus top 50 prospect, and in most places been a top 40 prospect, was not ranked on Keith Law's top 100, which is kind of laughable at this point. But yeah, you know, didn't have Connor Norby, didn't have Kobe Mayo on there either, but uh, obviously the big omission was Colton Cowser. Now a guy I trust a whole lot more when it comes to prospects is Kylie McDaniel over at ESPN, who published his top 100 list on Wednesday. And this one, honestly, might be the most positive we've seen from any Orioles on these lists. For the first time, probably ever, the Orioles have nine prospects on a top 100 list. That is on Kylie McDaniel's list at ESPN. They had eight guys on all the other lists, nine guys on the ESPN rankings. Of course, it starts with Gunnar Henderson as the number one prospect. Then you've got Grayson Rodriguez at number 12. Jackson Holiday at 17, Colton Kowser with his highest ranking at number 30, Kobe Mayo with a high ranking at 47. Then you got kind of a shocker, Cade Povich, the left-hander coming in at number 54. Then Jordan Westberg at 66, Joey Ortiz at number 71, and then Connor Norby at number 92 on the list. And the thing here was they had nine guys on the list. McDaniel did not rank D.L. Hall either. Now he mentioned him in the write-up, as one of the guys he considered, but he did not make the list. That's a pretty good list, and not even having D.L. Hall on it as well. So you add up all those players. First of all, the thing that that stood out, I mean, Kowser at 30 is awesome. Mayo at 47 is awesome. But Cade Povich, who has not appeared in any of the other top 100 lists, and to be honest with you, I believe ESPN is the only place that has Povich as a top 10 Orioles prospect at all. Putting Povich at number 54, which would have them ranking him the number six prospect in the Orioles system, and the number two pitching prospect ahead of D.L. Hall, ahead of Drew Rahm, only behind Grayson Rodriguez, is kind of shocking. Of course, Povich, the left-hander, one of the four pitchers who the Orioles acquired from the Minnesota Twins at the deadline last year in the Jorge Lopez trade. He was a third-round pick by the Twins out of Nebraska in 2021. Good stuff. He's seen a big velo bump since he's entered the minors. He's had some really good strikeout numbers, big overhand curveball, solid command. But Kylie McDaniel really likes him, and what he's hearing you know, apparently is great stuff about Cade Povich. And obviously, when you break down the trade, 
you know, I, I wasn't a huge fan of trading Jorge Lopez at the time. I still think it wasn't nearly as bad as trading Trey Mancini. I understood why the Orioles did it. They got four pitchers back. But if Cade Povich is really, you know, a, a top 60 prospect and turns into a legitimate big league starter, which McDaniel wrote about, he certainly thinks Povich is going to be. He even said maybe by the end part of 2023, he could see Povich in the Orioles rotation. That's the first time I've seen anybody really say that. That would make that trade certainly worth it when you're trading away a reliever for a guy who's going to be a starter for a long time. We'll have to see, but that is high, high praise for Cade Povich. But, I mean, just to have nine guys in that top 100, and with Povich added, that means 11 different Orioles prospects have showed up in somebody's top 100 list. And that's, you know, we still don't have kind of the one I go to the most, which is the Fangraphs list from Eric Longenhagen. You know, not quite sure when we'll get that, probably or most likely before opening day. But we still don't have that one. So, you know, he usually ranks more than 100, goes to like 120 or 130. We could have even more than the 11 guys. You know, maybe you could see a Dylan Beavers or a Judd Fabian sneak into Long and Hagen's list over at Fangraphs as well. So just an exciting time to, to be an Orioles fan and, and, and take a look at this system as well. But a little bit more minor league news before we go. I want to start with one player that the Orioles released. Dax Stubbs has been released from the Orioles minor league system. He was part of that first Mike Elias international class in 2019. Remember Elias had to come in and basically just sign the guys who hadn't been signed already. There wasn't much left. He got Stubbs, an outfielder out of the Bahamas, and he hasn't played a lot. He was in the FCL this year, but he didn't play much at all. He only played in 10 games. He was two for 19 with 12 strikeouts, and he's been released. Wish him all the best in his future. And then right-handed pitcher Nick Roth has retired this offseason, was the Orioles' 26th round pick in the 2019 draft out of Randolph Macon, a Division Three baseball powerhouse at the college level. And Roth just was not advancing up the system, I think, as fast as he would have liked. He has struggled in the minor leagues, some solid stuff, but just never put it together. Made 24 appearances out of the bullpen for the Aberdeen Ironbirds last year, and in 29 innings, he had a 5.59 ERA. He allowed 39 hits, but he did have 33 strikeouts to just four walks. Really good command from Roth in high A this year, but was getting too old for the level, still hadn't gotten to double A, and uh, we wish him all the best in uh, whatever is next beyond baseball for the right-hander, Nick Roth. But that'll do it for the podcast today. That'll do it for the pod this week, unless we do get some breaking news here on a Thursday. Then, of course, we'll have a Friday episode for you. But if not, we will return on Monday, and it looks like we'll open up the mailbag once again on Monday's episode. So get those Orioles questions in. Email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. You can tweet us at LockedOnOrioles. The DMs are open as well. And you can leave a comment here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube page. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube page as well. And remember, we're getting closer and closer to 2,000 subscribers on YouTube. Once we get there, going to do some very cool Orioles giveaways right here on the channel, but you have to be subscribed to Locked on Orioles on YouTube. And you can also leave a five-star rating if you'd like on iTunes and Spotify. And in the review section, hey, leave a review. Leave a mailbag question right there. It'll be answered as well. But that'll do it for the week. We'll be back on Monday to open up the mailbag. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked on Orioles podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team, every day.